Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Good to see you. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. How was everybody's Thanksgiving? Feeling fat and sassy? Anybody? All right. I went back a couple times for another plate. Um... Uh, next week, we're going to be having a guest with us, Jonathan Borden. He's going to be speaking on carriers of love um, as we kind of continue in this entire four months of just talking about mission. What does it mean to be a people of God's presence who are waiting on his hand, watching for his every move, impacted by his spirit? Um, how do we become those kinds of people that really long for what God longs for? Um, and how do we understand that God is calling us to do impossible things with him? Right? We've been saying that. He doesn't call us to simple things or difficult things, but to impossible things. But with God, everything is possible. Uh, and so it's good to have you guys with us. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, kind of going over the last two parts of that passage. Um, if you're a guest with us, welcome. It's good to see you. I know many of you are traveling back home today. Uh, you were here stuffing your, your tummies over the holidays. And so... We're just excited that you're here today. Uh, we really believe that the church is a whole lot more than a Sunday morning service and brick and mortar buildings. We really believe that it is the people of God filled by the spirit of God to do the will of God and that we're a family and that we're learning what that means. And for so many of you, you've been with us for years wrestling out what does it mean to be family with a group of people that I've just come to know? How do I step into this new creation thing that God is doing through the person Jesus? And, and what does it look like for us to be active in our obedience to Jesus every single day? And so I want to encourage you, if you're here and you say, you know what, this is our church home, this is our church family, then just know that is where we're pushing into, that is our agenda. We do have an agenda for your life, it's that you're formed into the image of Jesus. Amen? Amen? All right. Welcome back. Hey, a couple quick, um, just like celebrations. Where's Olivia? Olivia got uh, accepted into Mercer a couple weeks ago. Is that right? Y'all give it up for Olivia Ryan. College girl. And uh, can I introduce you to Dr. Diane Swanson, who just finished her doctorate. There's probably a million other celebrations. We love to celebrate people. Um, ladies, well done. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Go there with me, if you will. Can we just pray this morning? I know everybody is a little bit worn out from the holiday. I feel it too. Is that, can I get an amen, anybody? Uh, it was so relaxing and exhausting. Um, and there's lots of people at home sick with the flu this week. And so, um, in fact, the whole Casterline family is down today at home. My little one is down with flu at home. Uh, and so we're going to jump into the scripture. We're going to trust that the Lord leads our time together today. But can we just pray over the word and let's pray over those families who are sick today. Can we do that? Father, we just thank you that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing our soul and our spirit, our joints and our marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. And so, Father, we invite you to come today and to shape us and form us by your word. Lord, shape us. Father, where we have um, taken our lives out of your hands that have formed us and shaped us, we put our lives back into your hands and we come up under the authority of your word and the authority of your spirit and we ask you to shape us into your image today, King Jesus. Father, we just confess that there's so much that's out of shape. 
There's so much that's out of alignment with who you are and with your desires, God, for us and for the world around us. And Lord, we long to see your story uh, come about in our lives, God. We long to see the movements of your spirit triumph in our story, in our city and church and in our workplace, Father God, in the world around us. We invite you to come today, God, by your word and by your spirit to shape us, to form us, to make us into the men and women you've called us to be. Because God, you haven't done it without purpose, but Lord, every person in here has been called with purpose and destiny. Your spirit has been breathed into them, God. You're calling them to know you and to walk with you and to be changed by you. And so we invite you to come and to do that. Father, would you strengthen all those who are home today sick with flu? God, we pray that you would just protect. You would guard them, Father. You would guide them. And Lord, I just lift up a special prayer for my, my friends, Damien and Nancy. Lord, Nancy, who was given, um, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor uh, this week. Father, we just ask you for this minister couple, Lord, that you would put your hand on her and protect her. We thank you for the peace of King Jesus over her. And we just speak the healing power of Jesus over her body right now. In the name of Jesus, we curse this tumor. We agree that the blood of Jesus was more than enough to forgive us and to cleanse us and to make us whole. And so we appeal to heaven right now on Nancy's behalf. We ask you to heal. Heal in Jesus' name. We give you all the praise, Father, for you alone are worthy. And everyone said, Amen. Acts chapter 1 Verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized in water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This is shorthand for a pro-Israel, anti-others perspective that clouded the hearts and minds of Jesus' disciples and Jewish thinking in the past and even today. Our political indoctrination has kind of bled into our theology in so many ways. Everything for the disciples and for the nation of Israel was wrapped in a doctrine that ended up with Israel on top of the pile. But Jesus comes in this incredible moment of saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be witnesses here, there, and everywhere by the Spirit of God. And he doesn't come to hoist the Israeli flag to the top of the pile through his death and resurrection, but he hoists up the flag of the kingdom of God. With one line, Jesus flattens and reconciles millennia of hatred and discord and infighting between brothers and cousins. I can almost imagine the responses of the disciples in this moment. Because what we hear with 21st century Western ears is heard quite differently from a, a first century Jewish perspective. Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And you can hear them applaud. Yes, Jesus, peace to Jerusalem. And you will be my witnesses in all Judea. Yes, more, Lord, peace to your chosen people. And to Samaria. Wait, hold up, Jesus. We don't talk to Samaritans. And to the ends of the earth. Wait, what? This, this cannot be your plan, Jesus. This is not what we had in mind. This must be a mistake. What about Israel? 
With just a mouthful of words, Jesus levels the intentions of God's heart to his closest friends and to those who he loved. See, because they loved to include the broken children of Israel, but they excluded everyone else from the heart of God. But with just a few additions, Jesus sets the record straight about God's heart for everyone everywhere else. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Samaria and Israel had a complicated history. I want to share just a little bit to give us some context. Uh, Samaria was the capital city of the northern kingdom. You'll see a map up on the screen behind you just to give you an idea. Uh, it was the, the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, if you're familiar with the, the Old Testament, if you read in the book of First and Second Kings, you see that, you, uh, that Israel existed as a united nation. And then through the disobedience of its king and its people under Rehoboam, this was Solomon's first son, God actually tore the kingdom of Israel in two. He gave the tribe of Judah, which was the largest tribe, to Rehoboam, and he took all the other 11 tribes and he put them under this man named Jeroboam. And because of their persistent disobedience and the sin of the leaders and the people, what emerged was a nation divided. And what we had was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And then in 722 BC, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom and they started to import all these Gentile people into the land. Now you have to understand that everything in the Old Testament was about God bringing about a people who would exist as his nation and his kingdom on the earth, right? And so suddenly through this conquest and conquering, uh, this Assyrian king moves in all these Gentile people from places like Babylon and Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and they move them into the land of Samaria, the capital city, and all through the northern kingdom, and they bring with them their pagan idols. Now you can imagine a nation that is devoted to the worship of the one true God in one moment suddenly begins to adopt all these syncretistic ways of worshiping. They're doing a little bit of what the Babylonians do and a little bit of what those from Ava do and then what the people from Jerusalem would do. So we worship God, but we worship God and we worship Baal and we worship Ashtoreth and Molech and we just worship God as a pantheon of gods. He's no longer the one true God. And they start to intermarry with people who have been moved into the land. And suddenly, this group of people who were devoted to the one pure worship of Jesus, of, of God at that time, the, the people who were devoted in this way have been so blended and mixed with people from other nations that their worship and their devotion was no longer in existence. Right? And then they slowly started to turn the dial on their own history. They started to say, oh, we're not the mixed race. You're the mixed race. And they started to spread rumors about the Judeans and say they're the ones who were all mixed up. You can imagine how outrageous this is. In 606 BC, then, the Judeans from the southern kingdom were conquered and exiled into Babylon. Uh, you guys read through the books of the prophets. Many of those books are about that process. And after 70 years, they return to the land and they start rebuilding the temple and the city. This is what we see in Ezra and Nehemiah, right? Um, and as they do that, the people who resist them are the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans had taken the Torah, God's commands, and actually changed them. They rewrote parts of it so that it made sense for them. They moved the place of worship from Jerusalem where God said, this is where my name will dwell. And they moved it to Mount Gerizim. Over and again, they walked in flagrant disobedience to what God had said. And they opposed God's people with every turn. And the outcome of this is simple. The Jews hated the Samaritans. 
I mean a kind of outrage and discord and fury that you and I can barely imagine. And Jesus, preparing his disciples for his departure, has the audacity to say, and you will be my witnesses in all of Samaria. Can you feel it? (laughs) Like I'm mad thinking about it. What in the world are you thinking, Jesus? What must those words mean to people who had been groomed to hate? What must that sound like coming from the mouth of God? They hadn't chosen to hate them for no reason. The people had polluted the truth of God's word. The Judeans felt justified in their hatred. Samaritans represent all that's wrong with the world. Half-breeds, traitors, people of polluted faith, enemies of God. Have you ever hated someone like that? Have you ever had that kind of seething anger under the surface that you thought boiled into every thought and action you had towards somebody? Just like they were the embodiment of wickedness. Maybe you were so deeply wronged by someone that you couldn't imagine anything more fitting than that person just dropping dead um, on Thanksgiving Day at the table. Right? I hate that person. And if so, you might just understand a fraction of what the Jews felt in this moment. Now, this isn't the first time the disciples have heard this. Jesus actually, moment by moment, led them into encounters where they had to face this kind of deep-seated hatred. Um, Jesus actually led them into Samaria uh, for what some scholars say was up to an eight-month journey so that he could get at this root of hatred and bitterness in their heart. And he called them as they were there to do ministry among the Samaritans. On on another occasion, he broke every Jewish custom, and he spoke one-on-one with a Samaritan woman at a well. And she was the very first one, think about this, a Samaritan woman who is an outcast, and she's the first one who receives the news that he is the Messiah. Then on a third occasion, we actually see that Jesus is trying to teach what it means to be a good neighbor, and he tells the story of a good Samaritan man who shows mercy and kindness to an injured Jew. What's Jesus doing? He's confronting Jewish prejudice to get at the root of something. Why? Because Jesus knows what's in his father's heart for the Samaritans. And it's just the same as the Jews. You know, among many things that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 poses is the question, who is this gospel for? Think about it. Who is this gospel for? Is it for good church-going attendees on Sunday morning in the Bible Belt? Well, sure. Yeah, it's for us. Isn't that good news? <laughs> You're here. It's for you. That's great. Is it for your friends and your neighbors and coworkers, the people that we approve of? Is it for Susan down the street or Damien that works in the cubicle next to you? Well, yes, of course. Of course it is. But friends, how about the gay barista at the coffee shop you go to every week? What about the person with a different voting record than you? What about the internet troll or the person who keeps stealing your identity? What about the transgendered woman at the makeup counter in Dillard's? What about your neighbor that keeps letting his dog poop on your lawn or that flatmate who just won't wash your dishes no matter how ticked off you are? What about the family member or the boss who hurts you really deeply? You know, it's easy for us to give good news to those that we consider good. But what about the others? Is it just for those who meet our litmus test? Or perhaps maybe, just maybe, God intends something that is far more beautiful. 
far more far-reaching than just those that we think might deserve this good news. Friends, it's one thing for us to understand Jesus' command for his disciples 2,000 years ago, but what about today? Who is your Samaria? Who is your Samaria? That if Jesus leveled his eyes against yours and said, Sherry, you will be my witnesses to them. And you will be my witnesses to them. I want to fill you with the kind of spirit and love and devotion for the Father that even among your enemies, you swell with a kind of devastated love that can't help but to confess the goodness of God to their face with love in your heart. Who's your Samaria? Samaria gets into our hearts and under our skin. Samaria costs us something. It's personal. It demands we deal with our prejudice and our offense and hatred. And what's more, Samaria demands that we have a changed heart. I cannot witness to someone, Alan, uh, the love of God if I have hate toward them in my heart. Are you with me? I, I can't do it. I can't look at someone with this message of love and hatred in my heart and those two things not live in conflict. Jesus calls us more than witnesses, friends. He calls us ambassadors through whom he's making his appeal to others. Think about that. See, a witness can maybe like detach themselves a bit, but Jesus says, no, no, no. I actually am giving you authority to speak with my voice to a world who hasn't heard me. I'm giving you my identity to speak with passion and zeal, the very heart of who I am to people who have never heard and who don't know me. I can't pass a love letter to someone with hatred in my heart for them. Can you imagine this morning if I was locked up and I just called one of you and said, hey, hey, Daniel, I need you to deliver this message to Chrissy to tell her how much I love her. But I need you to read it. I don't want her to read it and guess at what I'm saying. I want you to read it with my words. And can you imagine if Daniel went in and read it with a clenched jaw and teeth gritting anger in his heart? No. No. If I'm going to read a love letter, I better be in love. And God is sending us with a love letter to the world around us, and he says, will you love even them? We need changed hearts toward the world around us if we're going to be witnesses. And this gets at something profound for us as Christ followers. Jesus doesn't call us to simply not hurt our enemies. Some of you have lots of enemies that you're just not hurting. And you're like, man, check that box off. Killing it in righteousness. Didn't murder my enemy today. Right? But Jesus always goes deeper to the root. He says, look, you say that I shouldn't murder, but if I have hatred in my heart towards my brother, something is deeply wrong here. Think about it. See, he calls us to love them. Not injuring my enemy is passive. Loving my enemy, that's active. God's calling us to an active kind of love. Matthew 5, 43 says it like this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What's so different about Christianity? Isn't it the same as all other religions? Hmm. I don't know. You tell me. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Somehow the DNA of the Father in us creates this space where we are called not just to 
uh, stiff arm our enemies and keep them at a distance, right? Like we've got tons of language around just building boundaries against all of our enemies. Jesus says, love them. Love them. Are you with me? What? (laughs) Ought to be the active question we ask. What are you talking about, Jesus? That person is hurting me. What, what, why would I love them? Love them. How, how can Jesus ask this of me? Right? Friends, we have a faith that is built on the God who initiates love toward us while we are still sinners and his enemies. Why can God ask this? Because he's already done this. This is who he is. This is what he does. This is the magnitude of God's love for us. He doesn't wait for you to get polished up and perfect. He comes to you dirty, broken, and sinful. And so what does he ask of us? Man, the same thing. He says, love your enemies. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even while we were dead in transgressions and sins. It is by grace you've been saved. And and the, the backside of that coin is, because I start like this, I'm telling you to go and do the same. Love your enemies. So who is your Samaria? Where is Jesus inviting you to move from a posture of hatred to a posture of love, from passive to active? Because Jesus is asking us to be witnesses even to our enemies. I want you to do something right now. Just close your eyes. And if when I say the word enemy or hatred, a face pops into your mind, it may be that the Lord is highlighting a place where he wants to meet you where he wants to start to fill you with his love for a person that you don't even like, that you hate. And somehow in that process, God is filling you with his kingdom and he's calling you to be a witness and to start with active love towards someone who has hurt you. Open your eyes. It's easier said than done, right? But this is what Jesus calls us to. And he doesn't leave us and say, like, figure it out. His Holy Spirit does the work. You know, I've heard it said that um, the best way to start to love your enemy is to pray for them. I think Jesus is getting at something. It's not that he's trying to twist our arms and force us into some spiritual routine that's detached from our hatred. He's bringing us to a place where if I start to get God's heart for someone whom I have hatred for, I can't help but to start loving this person. That's why it's good to pray before you start talking. You know what I'm talking about. It's really easy to, like, go into just... Uh, justice mode. This person needs to know how they've wronged me. Have you prayed? (laughs) Pray for them first. Because if you can imagine their face and speak blessing over them and release them to God, then you can start to gain his heart for them. But if every time you're confronted with this person, you're just thinking about how you're going to get justice for the wrong that was done you, it's going to consume you and them. Are you with me? Okay, so who is your Samaria? Secondly, Jesus doesn't stop with the enemies across the river, does he? He he goes on to say, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus' way of saying that God's plan of redemption is going to reach the Gentiles and the entire world. Now, can can I just be honest with you guys? As I was preparing for this, um, I hit a moment where I thought, 
You know, a lot of the people in the room probably feel like this is completely detached from their lives. Grant, why are you talking to us about like missions? Why are you talking to us about God's heart for the ends of the earth? There's something that is really detached from us as disciples right now where we feel like, man, this message seems to just be for those Christians over there. But for us, I'm just trying to figure out how to like be satisfied with my daily life and get the job that I want and be happy. And what I want to connect for you are these dots. That to belong to Jesus means that you are deeply, diametrically connected. You're, You're deeply connected to the work of God all over the earth. And if you're not, perhaps you're not awake to what Jesus is actually asking. Acts 1.8, Matthew 20, uh, uh, 28.18, right? When you are filled with the Spirit, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28 says, all authority is mine, so go and make disciples of all nations. You cannot belong to Jesus and go to sleep on his heart for the world. You, you can't belong to him. This is the great thing about the Holy Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit who desires and delights in making much of the name of Jesus, then suddenly the, the desires and the passions of the Holy Spirit are going to be kindled in you. And what happens when his passions and desires are kindled in you? This is what happens. You will start to awaken for lost people all over the world who you didn't care beans about six weeks before. Why? Because they are precious to the heart of God. Psalm chapter 2 tells us that the nations are the inheritance of Jesus. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Now, a lot of times we quote that in like apostolic environments to mean like these are our nations. No, they're his. King of kings, Lord of lords, coming to rule from Jerusalem over the nations of the earth. Jesus longs for his inheritance. And if you belong to Jesus, guess what? You have become ambassadors to the nations. Are you with me? It's such a better gospel than come to church more. Seriously. This is the compelling vision of God that he is filling you with his spirit to carry his passion and his desire for all peoples. And for many of you, you're going, but I'm not going to go to the nations. Okay. But you will carry his zeal and his passion to pray for the nations. You will carry his zeal and his passion to be witnesses wherever your feet do touch. Right? You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus says the Gentiles and the entire world are included in this. Now, if you're a Jew, this is shocking. If you're a Jew in this moment, now they've got plenty of prophetic promises that have foretold that this is God's design all along. But their eyes were closed and their ears were completely shut off to what God was saying. That all along, the promise given to Abraham over all of his children, that you will be blessed and you will be a blessing to nations. It has always been about God's redemptive plan for the entire earth. To belong to Jesus means that you are included in this redemptive plan for the entire earth. Now, here's the conflict. First century Jews hated Gentiles. Even today, like there's there's friction, right? Like in Orthodox Judaism and oftentimes other people groups. Uh, First century Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs. They were less than human to them. They wouldn't talk to them or go into their homes or share their table with them. So not only is Jesus saying, you're going to be my witnesses to your enemies, but to those you disregard as less than because they are those people over there otherness that other group right have you ever felt like that watching the news 
You just get highlight reel after highlight reel of tragedy, poverty, brokenness, and some other place in the world, and you just kind of tune it out. Why? What does it have to do with us? Right? Well, Jesus says it has everything to do with us. Jesus calls us to be people who are his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, I really love that the Bible doesn't put a shine or a polish on this. How many of you appreciate that? Like, don't make it too shiny, Jesus. Just give us the hard facts. Jesus tells them here, when you are filled with the Spirit, you are going to be my witnesses all over the earth. And if you read the Bible, it doesn't tell us that the disciples pack their bags and leave immediately after. In fact, it's not until Acts chapter 10 when the Holy Spirit calls Peter to go to the house of Cornelius, the Roman, that they start to wake up to God's heart for Gentiles. Scholars say that was as much as 10 years after they were filled with the Spirit. 10 years. I'm 40, 30, okay? 10 years of waiting, 10 years of being filled with the Spirit and wrestling out what's happening here. And Peter doesn't awaken to the fullness of this mystery that what God means for his people, he means for all these people. For what God means for Israel, he means for the entire earth. In other words, what God is saying is your old paradigms and ways of seeing things won't work anymore if you're going to follow me. Peter, the way that you think about Gentiles no longer fits. Friends, if we're going to be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth, we're going to need new eyes and new hearts to see people as he does. There's something about just living in the southeast. Um, We are really quick to move towards xenophobia and just flushing anybody who doesn't look or act or talk like us. And we talk kind of crazy. Anybody? (laughs) Are you with me? Jesus needs us to start to gain his heart for the nations. If we're going to awaken to what he's doing, we have to see as he sees. Friends, Samaria and the ends of the earth represent those that we wouldn't naturally choose to give good news. They represent those that we would shrug our shoulders at or that we wouldn't give the time of day. But this is God's nature and his purpose and his will. It is to seek and to save the lost. The call to follow Jesus historically and biblically will move us to the extremities of our families and communities and comforts and world for the sake of telling others. Like, man, Grant, I'm just trying to get my devotion in every morning and like really get rooted in Columbus and do my thing here. And Jesus keeps trying to force me out. Yes. Here is the vision that I think the Lord wants us to have. Is that to follow Jesus literally means to follow him. Imagine if Jesus walked in in the flesh this morning and he says, Gabe, I'm going somewhere. Follow me. It takes like movement. Right? Right? Like, I'm going somewhere. There are these people that I love that are there, and there's a job that is there, and I'm going where he goes. Well, what if he goes somewhere further than I want to go? What if he goes somewhere where I don't have a bed or a home? What if he goes somewhere where there's confusion about, like, what's the next steps, and how do I get there, and what kind of clothes will I need for this journey, Jesus? Jesus doesn't give us all that. He just says, come on. And I wonder how many of us, we have rooted our lives and said, Jesus, come accommodate my dream. Come facilitate my dream, but do it in a gospel-ish way. And Jesus says, 
follow me. Follow me. I'm going somewhere. Are you with me? There's a very real tension there for us. See, to do this, we have to wrestle out the prejudices and the old paradigms that we carry. We have to learn to surrender our comfort and convenience for a more compelling story. Jesus doesn't save us and just call us to more church. Jesus saves us and he calls us to be his disciples. Sons and daughters filled by the Spirit of God who bring about the will of God, who actually pray the kingdom of God to earth. Dang. But I just want to like go to another small group. I love small group. That's great. <laughs> Don't hear me wrong. But what? What? This is not what you were saved for. Not for a safe existence plugged into some safe reality, but to the gospel that calls us to follow the King of Kings. The gospel that calls us to go and to tell everyone everywhere this good news. You know, Jesus made it plain in John 3.16 that God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son, Right? But in our Western reading, Dwayne, this is what I fear. I fear that we read it, for God so loved me that he sent Jesus. That's not what he says. It's not that that's not true, but it's not what he's saying. He's saying that God so loves the world. God delights in the world. God longs for the world. The same world that we dismiss as just another headline or tragedy or blip across the global Twitter feed represents people and places that God's heart longs for. His heart burns to reunite them with himself. He burns that every person everywhere would know who he is. Habakkuk 2.14 gives this end-time vision that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, everyone everywhere will know me. What's God's heart? He is actively at work in the darkened corners of our city and nation and world by his spirit. But friends, hear me. Maybe you feel like the least missional person in this room. Hear me. He's inviting you to carry his heart as messengers and witnesses to those who don't know him. He's inviting you. The scriptures are plain. He doesn't look to the person beside you. He's looking at you and he's saying, come, follow me. Come, be my witness. Come, tell people the reality of what you have seen and heard of me because I am doing a new thing. I've started this new creation thing and I'm using you. Joshua Project is a, is a website that collects stats and information about unreached people groups. Uh, we've got some of it here on the wall. Um, it says that there are 17,429 people groups in the world today. So ethnic people groups. There are 17,429 groups in the world. It's right around 8 billion people. And out of those 8 billion, 42.6% of them are unreached for the gospel. Do something real quick. Just stop looking at the numbers for a second. 42.6% of the world remains unreached for the gospel. 42.6% of the world. That would be like me carving a line here down the room and everybody over here has no access to the gospel. This number actually represents something even more intense. Now they're taking unreached people groups and they're dialing in more. They're saying there's a group called frontier people groups. Um, here's what's really sad. I used to preach this when I was doing missions among teams um, and the numbers are getting worse. So I realized last night as I'm writing these numbers down, that it used to be 40%, now it's 42.6%. 
And what used to be 16,000 people groups is now 17,000 people groups. And so there are more ethnic populations popping up, and the numbers are growing, and less and less people get to know Jesus. Um, 25.6% of the world is considered a frontier people group, with less than one-tenth of one percent of Christianity in their ethnic community, and no confirmed sustained movements to Jesus. It's hard for us to understand that. There's probably 80 people in here right now, which means that this still doesn't even work. If I was to take one of you and to cut one-tenth off of you, right? If there was 100, this is a violent example. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Could have been better. (laughs) How do do we grasp that? Well, I was in Istanbul um, one night, and my friend... um, told me, he said, hey, I want you to go to this other person's apartment. We have a team meeting. And so I took his phone. I didn't know how to work it. I had a map going on an Android phone in Istanbul. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I got lost. Now, if you don't know, Istanbul is, is huge. It's 18 million people. Uh, it, is, it is one of the most lost places I've ever been. Um, you can travel for months and months and never meet another believer. And I remember getting lost that night, and the Holy Spirit was talking to me, and it started to get dark, and um, I, I was bumping into people because I was looking down at this stupid phone, trying to figure out where I was. And every person I bumped into, I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to me, they don't know me. They've never heard. They've never heard for hours. They've never heard. They've never heard. And I was kind of overwhelmed with this sense of the work that needs to be done for a single city, a single tribe, a single community, much less the world. So most of the time we spend all of our lives really dialed in on what's just not going so well for me in Columbus, Georgia, where I'm surrounded by radio broadcasts and TV shows about Jesus and Bibles and books and podcasts and sermons. Are you with me? And we just say, I just need another and another. And these people have never heard. Never. He says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Who is he depending on to go and do this? It's us. I'm sorry, Jesus. We're not up for the task. What are, you, what are we going to say to him? I'm so sorry. I was really busy. I promised that I would get through this Netflix series before I do anything else. I've got to check things off. I love Netflix. Okay, are you with me? I'm speaking very, like, emphatically. He said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You will be. Listen to those words. It is a promise and a command. Casey, you you will be. You're like, man, I want to be. You you will be. You you will be. Generations of believers have gone to the far reaches of the planet to declare God's wonders. They they would be. They received the promise of God. They heard what he had in his heart, and they said, I want to do that. And for some of you, you go, I'm a little more reticent. And I feel like Jesus would say to you, you will be my witness. You will be. Past the place of comfort, past past the place of convenience or preference or desire, you will be. Your heart will turn for what burdens me. I will put my longing in you. It is a promise and a command. See, Jesus speaks to us today that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we will be his witnesses. And in every generation, the command goes out again to go and to be witnesses. So the question is, what will we do? What will we do? 
The dream of our heart for this church is not that we would build some empire with great services. It would be that you would come and your hearts would become engorged and on fire with the Spirit of God and you can't help but to go and to tell people who do not know. Are you with me? We're more of a slingshot. Okay? You come in, fitted, fired up, out you go. (laughs) A couple of you made that sound. (laughs) You will be. Secondly, my witnesses. Guys, we're his. We are possessed by the king. Our lives are not our own. We are his children and his friends and his soldiers. We're his servants. We're his prized possessions. And we are witnesses. We are called to tell others the wonders of what we have seen and heard from Jesus. We are not lawyers who have to accuse and condemn and come against uh, the witness. We are the witness who simply say, this is what I have seen of this Jesus. When I thought he was angry and violent, he came in tender and gentle. When I thought he would uh, throw me away, he laid down his life to save me and redeem me. This is what I know about Jesus. Friends, the 42.6% of the world is waiting. The world is starving for the gospel while we fill up on all of our Christian resources. There are some who have never tasted the bread of life. What will we do about it? You will be my witnesses. I want to finish just with three simple points. Um, The three things that maybe we should do about this. Number one, we start just by checking our own hearts. Just taking an honest assessment, an honest evaluation of your heart and where you are at with the Lord and his command this morning. Check to be sure that you are awake to the call and command of God to go and to be witnesses to everyone everywhere. Is, is that, close your eyes for just a moment, is that awake in me? God, is it awake in me that I am called first and foremost to go and to be your witness? Are the final words of Jesus my first priority? Do I wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night thinking about what he longs for most? What does it mean to be obedient to the command, the call of Jesus? To so love my enemies and people who I can't even pronounce their nation that he would fill me with his love for them? Is it my priority? You can open your eyes. What if... Just as a community, we began praying for a different nation or ethnic people group um, across the world as a part of your daily time with Jesus. Because I realize for most of us, we're like, what do we do with this? You just blew up like my daily ideas of what it means to follow Jesus. What now, Grant? What if, what if we just start by saying, God, would you give us your heart? I, I know what's in my heart, right? We just checked our hearts. Would you give us your heart for what's going on here? Can we begin to pray with, with, with open hearts for the people we see in the headlines? Or maybe there's a missionary who's in a nation that you'd care about. Can I just begin to pray specifically pointed prayers to partner with what the kingdom is doing there? Check our own hearts. Secondly, we practice enemy love. You know, one of the signifiers of the early church, when you read back through scholars and history books, is that they loved their enemies. The thing that they would say about the early church is, we don't know that we believe the same thing, but we can look at them and know that they believe what they say because this is how they put it to work. The people who kill them, they forgive. 
Right? Isn't this the practice of Jesus who on the cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We practice enemy love. If in the middle of the message today, when you closed your eyes, if somebody's face popped into your mind, what if you began praying for that person and speaking blessing over their life out loud every day? Every day, that person who hurt you, who took from you, who took advantage of you. What if you begin to pray God's best over them? You bless them. You wrestle out the hatred that's in your heart. And you allow God to move you from passive, um, passive love to an active kind of love. You just take a moment every single day to close your eyes, to imagine your enemy, and to pray for them. And for some of you, you're in close proximity with the people who have hurt you. So what if you just... Start loving them. Not just not hating them. What if you start loving them? Actively. Finding ways to bless them and to care for them. You're like, man, that's too much. This is where it starts for us. How am I going to love people I don't know if I hate the people I do? This is where it starts for us. Finally, surrender. What are we going to do about this, Grant? Surrender. The King of Kings stands at our door knocking. And he says, you will be my witnesses. Go and make disciples of nations. We have two options. We can say no thanks or surrender. You know, I think the scariest prayer that we can pray is three letters. It's just the word yes. God, I don't know what it looks like, I don't know where it leads me, and I don't know what it's going to cost me, but I say yes to you. You know, one thing that concerns me um, is how little we wrestle with this Acts 1-8 and the Matthew 28-18 call as God's people. I just don't hear it. I don't hear people wrestling or talking about it. It's just not in our vernacular anymore. I really want God to just come and to heal all my pain. But I don't have any desire to actually follow him and do what he said. And I can say in this church family, I see a lot of people who are just giving their wild, abandoned yes to Jesus. There, I don't know of another place like this. this. There's nothing special about this place. I'm saying a lot of you are saying yes to Jesus, and that excites me. But hear me. If you're here this morning and you've gone to sleep at the will, can I just shake you? Gently awake and say there is more. And that Jesus bids you come and follow him wherever he goes. And he loves when his children say yes. If we belong to Jesus, it's our responsibility to lay down our lives and our convenience and preferences on the altar and ask God what his dream is for us. So have you surrendered? Will you stand to your feet? Thank you, Father. We, um, I want to close today by just asking you to do that. For some of you in this room, you feel like the Lord is like moving on your heart to just come and to surrender your life again and just to put your life back in his hands. Father, if you have something different for this life than what I have planned, I give you my life. And if that's you, uh, we're going to leave the lights up and no music. Uh, I just want to ask you to come and to just get on your knees as an act and posture of surrender before him. You can do it in the back or the front or the sides. Um, but I just want to encourage you to take a step.
I surrender my life. And wait a moment. You may have done it a thousand times. Just put your life back into his hands today. Lord, I give you my life. We wait on you, Jesus. Just come surrender. We guys know, we know the posture in our culture, right? Hands up. I surrender on my knees. I'm surrendered. Somebody else is in control. If that's you, you may have done it a thousand times. You may be surrendered already. Would you just surrender again? Lord, you have my life. Father, in our church family this morning, Lord, our deepest desire is that we would be a people who are in love and surrendered. That there would be nothing that holds us back from who you are. God, for those who are here for the first time today, and Lord, they're feeling like a deep challenge, Father, to be a part of what you're doing. God, I pray that they would see that this is the gospel, that you have saved us and redeemed us and called us your own, that you've started this new creation work and you're calling us to be your followers, your disciples, your messengers. Father, call them. Lord, I just pray for a confirmation of your spirit, even now to rest on your people, that you are speaking to them. Your words of life. God, that you are releasing, God, callings and identities of everything that you've spoken into them. Thank you, Father, for the call of prophets, for the call of apostles, for the call of pastors and teachers and evangelists. Father, I thank you for those who vocationally will never step into the church, who walk in the authority of Jesus to do what you've called them to do all over the earth. Lord, we thank you, God, for those who have an entrepreneurial spirit in this place, God. They love to start new things. Father, we just ask you that you would, you would put the heartbeat of your kingdom all over the earth at the middle, God, of their new things starting up. God, that you would give us passion and vision and wisdom and discernment. Lord, that we wouldn't see the kingdom confined to church buildings, but God, that we would be a church that is moving out and moving forward with you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, Lord, I just ask you right now that you would strengthen the sheep. I thank you for strong sons and daughters. Father, I thank you, even like the word that Carla shared last week. Lord, we just ask you that you would build and sustain the body for what you have called us to do, Lord. We thank you, God. We thank you. Give us your heart for our enemies and for the nations around us. We surrender. We surrender. Would you just tell him that right now? Just give him your surrender. Lord, I just surrender my life to you. I surrender control of my preferences, my desire, my plans. And if you don't mean it, don't say it. Because the Lord listens. He's listening. Father. Lord, let this house and every person in it be for the praise of your glory. I thank you, Father, that you mobilize your heart from this place like a fountain being poured out, God. You would send from the center people all over the earth for your glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let us not go to sleep at the will. God, awaken our hearts to what burns in your heart. The time is short, Father. Give us your eyes and your ears to see and to hear. Give us discernment to know the truth, to walk according to your ways, Lord. Father, we just surrender. Uh, we confess that we are pretty quick to run into just playing church. Um, Father, we lay those things down. We ask you, God, to move in your people. We are your temple, your bride. We pray that you would come and you would move in us, Father, that you would show us what you're asking of us, Lord. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We trust you, King Jesus. Father, if there's anyone here today who's just asleep, I ask you, Lord, for the discomfort of the kingdom to settle in. That they hear something, God, that they can't unhear. And they know your heart for them and for their neighbors. They'd be awakened, God, to the gospel of Jesus. Wake them up. Wake them up. I thank you, Lord, for disillusionment with church stuff for the sake of drawing you back, drawing them back to your heart. We're not afraid of that. Draw them back, Lord. Use our lives. We belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you guys. If today you feel like the Lord is speaking something specifically to you about um, going, about participating in this or what it looks like, uh, can I just encourage you to share that with a neighbor around you, share it with us, and if we can do anything to pour fuel on the fire of what God's doing in your heart, let's do that. Amen. Love you. Bless you. Have an incredible week. We'll see you soon.